0: Welcome to Straight from the CPA's Mel, your connection to the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center, Alberta CPAs, and business professionals. This podcast, presented by the CPA Education Foundation, features Alberta chartered professional accountants and others sharing their expertise and insights on a wide range of topics. Tune in regularly for eye-opening looks on leadership, business, education, and many issues of the day, straight from the CPA's Mouth. Before we begin, in honor of the 94 calls to action put forth by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, we'd like to acknowledge that CPA Education Foundation offices are situated on the traditional Treaty 6 and Treaty 7 territories. The foundation acknowledges that we reside on traditional and ancestral territories of many Indigenous, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples. Their histories and culture influence our community to this day. The CPA Education Foundation is committed to helping build a province where Indigenous peoples and their voices and experiences are heard, valued, respected, and celebrated. Welcome back to part two of our financial literacy series. My name is Nikkei Fabie with the CPA Education Foundation, and I'll be your host for this episode. If you missed part one of the series, I am joined by Robin Tobe, CPA, CA, professional speaker and author of The Wisest Investment, Teaching Your Kids to be Responsible, Independent, and Money Smart for Life, where we discussed financial literacy for children. According to the 2019 Canadian Financial Capability Survey, 49% of Canadians report having a budget. Compared to non-budgeters, Canadians who budget are less likely to fall behind on their financial commitments and are less likely to spend more than their monthly income. As adults, how can we learn to build a budget that considers our financial commitments and milestones while also making room for the things and experiences that we want? Let's hear Robin's thoughts on money management straight from the CPA's mouth. Hello, Robin. Thank you for joining us again. Good to be back, McKay. Thank you for having me again. Awesome. Well, we're talking about the intro, 49% of us have budgets. Um, Mm. I want to take a moment to focus on the 51% that I guess don't necessarily consider themselves to be people who are budgeters. Um, So what information do we need to know? And what first steps should we take before building a budget?
1: As a preface to that, I would say the first thing is just focus on your own situation. Try not to get caught up in comparing your spending or your income to other people or in FOMO. Mm. Just, you know, start with gathering the information about your own circumstances. So start with what's coming in. How much money am I making after tax? And that, I mean, if you have an, a job, it's pretty straightforward. If you have your own business um, or a small business or side hustle, maybe a little more uh, complicated to get that information or to forecast it, but to the best of your ability, figure out what's coming in and then what's going out. That's the other side of the equation um, are your expenses. So I think uh, one of the best tips you can do is to track your spending for a period of time and to get, you know, a grip on the reality of what you're actually spending your money on, because often people um either they don't know where their money's going or they're surprised to learn where it's actually going. So tracking is a really great reality check and can be a wake-up call and a great reminder, um, you know, to to make really good spending choices. And by that, I mean to try to spend with your values in mind, because you said at the beginning, uh, you know, there's so many things we want to have both today and in the future. Mm -hmm. And how do we make how do we prioritize those things? How do we make these trade-offs? So that's where your values come in and your values are the things in your life that are most important to you, that that you hold dear or that you're willing to take a stand for. And your values can act as an invisible framework to help you guide and prioritize your financial
0: decisions. That's really great advice. So I wanted to talk a little bit because you did say to kind of go back and figure out what you're spending your money on. So Mm -hmm. for those who don't have a budget, I guess, how far back should people be looking like a month, two months, three months?
1: You could go back, let's say, you know, you want it to be a representative period of time. So and it has been unusual times these last 18 months, you know, many of us, especially early in the pandemic, we were not doing a lot of the the nice to do and fun to do things. A lot of our discretionary spending wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. So you do want to look, you do want to make sure that it's like representative of what your life is going to look like going forward. So I would say at least six months to go back. And then, or if you want to just say, okay, I'm going to start tracking now. Um, As I mentioned in the first episode, if you use these tracking tools that are built into your online banking, they will track your actual spending and they will help you set budgets. So you could sort of say, okay, I'm going to track for the next three months and I'm going to use that information to help me set my budget going forward. Or you could look back, let's say at the last six months, if they're representative and use that information as well. But don't forget there are certain expenses that are annual, perhaps insurance payments, in some cases, um, you know, maybe vacations or gifts that aren't monthly recurring expenses. So you want to make sure you pick everything up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, how do we build a budget that is realistic? I know you said it's important to take into consideration uh, the things that you value. So um, should we also be building, I guess, a little bit of a fund for those miscellaneous things like birthdays or little gifts here and there? Definitely. And there's lots of really good online resources,
1: um, budget templates where you can see the line items in the budgets. All the banks have them. But, you know, Ontario, the Ontario Securities Commission is an unbiased, objective source of, of those types of tools as well. And so that will also help remind you of things like that, that you you might have forgotten about, like gifts or holidays. But I mean, obviously you have to think about your needs and your wants mm-hmm. so what your needs being your you know a roof over your head so your housing uh your food uh basic clothes to wear things like that like the things that you have to have to to live your life and then the, the wants are more of the nice to haves and again that's where thinking about your values and what's most important to you and what are my goals and where am i trying to go and Figuring out how you're going to make trade-offs, because in most cases, there's you know money's a finite resource, and there often isn't enough to satisfy all of our needs and all of our wants.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, or some things have to get pushed down the road a bit and you have to prioritize. So it's really important to know what's most important to you because it will help you make those decisions. So, for example, um if you value, let's say you have children and you value education then saving for their post secondary education might be a very important goal for you to have and you want to make sure you're doing that every month but you you want to for sure have money for the for the fun stuff mm-hmm. because we all know what it's like to live without that stuff as we experienced when we were all locked down at the beginning so it's not about like denying yourself the fun stuff that you enjoy doing it's just about being clear about what you want and What's important to you and what your goals are, and then
0: making the allocations accordingly. Yeah, that's great. I know I hear a lot about these different rules for our money, you know, like the 50 30 yeah. 20 rule. Um, so, what general rules do you abide by um, when creating a budget or advising people who are about to create a budget?
1: Right and you're right there's rules of thumb and some of these tools that i mentioned i think you can see what the typical or average spending is in you know that city or that part of the country um one you know one of the big rules of thumb is about housing so they say it should be approximately 30% of your uh net take home pay on housing i believe net and you know another rule of thumb that you hear a lot is you know, try to save 10%. But, you know, a lot of these things are just rules of thumb, especially on the saving side. Like if you can do more, Mm -hmm. great. There's nothing to say, limit it to 10%. Um, You know, other things you can find out, you know, what typically people pay for insurance for similar circumstances and things like that. But, you know, other things are really personal, like food, Mm -hmm. you know, depends on on your habits and your dietary restrictions and all kinds of other things. So I think those things are a little harder to get, um, a rule of thumb on, but even things like utilities, you can often find out, you know, what people in your, I, I think I get notifications from our suppliers saying like, if we're spending more than average or less than than the average person in our neighborhood on, you know, electricity or gas. So you know, some things are a little more objective and can be quantified that way. And other things are a little more subjective. Like, you know, what do you spend on a
0: vacation? Like that really is so personal. Yeah, of course. And like you said, I think it kind of really comes back down to what you value. If you're someone who really values, you know, entertainment and being social and going out with your friends to eat, is probably advisable that you budget a little bit more towards those activities, but also realizing that there still is that trade-off, like you said.
1: Yeah, I think you just don't want to be surprised um, when you actually look at what you spend. Like I interviewed a young woman who was in her 20s who told me that she it was really important to her to eat healthy and to eat well. So she budgeted extra to be able to do that, to buy organic food. And um, she also felt it was it was in in line with her values to support local stores in her neighborhood. So even mm-hmm. if they were a little more expensive she built that into her budget. And the same with gift giving. Like she really loved giving thoughtful gifts to people. So that was a a very conscious part of her budget. I think you just want to be mindful of your spending and uh, be making choices that, you know, where you're aware of why you did that rather than kind of going, getting to the end of the month and being like, I don't know where my money went. Like what, where did it all go? That is not a good way to to, to live because you want to just, you want to have, you want to bring more awareness to your spending.
0: Absolutely. So in terms of bringing awareness to our spending, um, how important is goal setting when it comes to, uh, money management and reaching our financial milestones? Do you have any, you know, tips or examples of how we can reach our financial goals? Do you recommend, you know, splitting them into smaller goals? Um, what advice do you have?
1: Well, again, it goes back
0: to your values.
1: So if you tie your goals back to your values, the things that are most important to you, then they're going to be more compelling and motivating for you to achieve those. And some people use little structures. um, Like for example, if you were saving for a down payment on a house, some people would have like a a picture of like their dream house, um, you know, somewhere where they can see it. So if they were tempted to spend money on something else, then every time they saw that picture of their dream house, it would remind them that, you know, that's what the ultimate goal was. That's what they were really saving for and what was really important to them. Um, you know, saving, setting goals helps delay gratification and teaches you to wait for rewards. And that is something that we want to teach our kids as well, because we do live in a a world that stresses instant gratification and Mm -hmm. consumption. And there's so much, you know, so much advertising and media and FOMO and social media and social commerce, like it goes on and on. So it's really easy to get off track. And if you have these larger goals that Are tied back to your values, Uh, I think it will help you stay on track. And then there's little things, like you said, you could break them down into uh, component parts. So, do you know, are you familiar with the SMART goals framework? Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, make your goals specific, measurable achievable, realistic, and time framed. Mm -hmm. So I I get into that a little bit in the book too, because even kids, if they're saving for a trip or, you know, more expensive, uh, video game or something like that, that they can use that framework too, because it just does help it break, help break it down into the, the steps. And as you're, you know, you're more specific, you can measure your progress towards achieving your goal.
0: Absolutely. Um, so I did want to just quickly come back to uh, this idea of values. Um, I know mm. a big topic of the past federal election was just in in regards to affordability, especially in terms of housing. You know, the demand is kind of exceeding the supply, which is mm. causing home prices to go up, especially in certain areas, you know, like Toronto, Vancouver, um, Victoria, I think as well. But What are your thoughts on renting versus buying? I know for someone like me, I kind of fall into this millennial category. So (laughs) I'm still on the fence of whether or not it makes sense for me to buy versus rent. So um, I guess what are the benefits of both and how do we decide um, what's best for us?
1: It's It's the hottest topic, I would say. Housing affordability in Canada is especially, again, it's one of those things that boomed during COVID. Everyone wanted more space and more distance and people could work remotely. So a lot of people started moving farther out of the city and started buying houses. Like, I feel like it's it's such a big, big topic of discussion. And like, I know Rob Carrick at the Globe and Mail writes a lot about this issue. And I just actually saw something on LinkedIn this morning that arguably renting is less expensive than owning and I think with owning, sometimes people mistakenly think like, okay, instead of a rent payment, I'm making a mortgage payment, but there's a lot more costs involved with owning than just uh, the cost of ownership, like your mortgage, Um, because there's also maintenance and uh, like ongoing maintenance cap. So just cutting the grass and mowing the lawn and fixing the roof and fixing anything that breaks, Uh, like appliances, you don't have those responsibilities for maintenance when you rent. If something breaks, you call your landlord Mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully they deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, my kids say they don't always come running, but um, you know, you do, you do have someone else that's, that's responsible for that. But when you own it's on, it's on you. And then there's like larger, capital expenditures you know to renovate and make sure the house is like up to date and and you know electricity and the pipes and all that stuff so I think you have more responsibility and more costs when you rent you have a lot of flexibility uh like you know you might be on a a lease but often that's just one year and then I know in Toronto it's very common that it goes month to month after that so you have a flexibility if you're young and you're um you're not sure where you're going to be working forever, and or even what city or country you're going to be living in. And then you can change. You you know you have the opportunity to just travel or to move or to change neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whereas I think when you own, it's I think the pro is that there's more stability when you own because no one's going to, you know, tell you you have to move. That's another issue when you're um, a, a renter. Sometimes the owner tells you that, you know, they, I think that, you know, they can rent to family members or something and you have to leave. Mm -hmm. So there's always that, that risk. Um, Whereas if you own, if you own, then you, you decide how long you want to stay there. You're also, when you own, you're living by your own rules. So, you know, with regards to parties or noise, you know, within reason, because you want to be considerate of your neighbors, but you don't have the same rules, like no pets, or no smoking, you know, that you would have if you were a tenant. Um, so there's that. I also feel like renting provides more flexibility in terms of affordability because you can choose if you want to live with roommates or not to make it more affordable. Right. Right. So especially if you're younger and, you know, you maybe you did that in university and you're used to having roommates and you want company and all that stuff. So like, it just makes living downtown in a big city, which could be expensive, a little more affordable. Whereas it's a little harder to do that with a house, I would think, Um, you know, to find roommates, like conventional roommates. You know, people have, I've heard of people doubling up, like two siblings buying a house together or, you know, even family friends buying a house together. But it's a little more complicated. (laughs) Uh, Right. Lots can go wrong there. Um, And then I guess, you know, another pro of buying is the pride of ownership. Uh, You know, it's your own house. A lot of people are really proud of of the fact that they were able to afford a house and and they work on their house and they do a lot of home improvements sometimes themselves. And you know that's a really good feeling. and it's also an opportunity to build wealth, which mm-hmm. is I think the conventional reason behind home ownership, right? which was pay down your mortgage, build equity, plus home values have generally gone up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, You know, there really are pros and cons. Again, I think it goes back to your values. I feel like a broken record, but it does. Do you value security and stability um, or adventure? And that can change at different stages of your life as well. And then of course, it's just like, it is a numbers game right now. And there, as you mentioned, there's so much demand and the supply has not caught up and prices are really
0: stratospheric and affordability is a real issue. Absolutely. I just want to quickly talk about you had mentioned obviously one of the big pros of home ownership is the opportunity to build wealth. So for those who might not necessarily be interested in owning a home and maybe they're renting and they're saving a little bit on that end, Mm -hmm. do you recommend that they reinvest that portion of their potential savings so that they can build wealth in a, a different way? Absolutely.
1: I mean, that's and that's another argument people have for renting is that it's not, buying a house isn't the only way to build wealth. So as you said, the money that they are not using on on a house, they can use to build an investment portfolio. So, and the markets have been also extremely strong. Mm -hmm. So there's other ways to build wealth. It could be, you could be investing in in your own business. You could be buying, you know, buying stocks and bonds and other securities. You know, there's lots of other ways to build wealth besides a home. And in fact some people would argue that your home is in some ways a consumption asset because it's hard to monetize and liquidate unless you sell it one day. That's a very interesting
0: perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Because it would be hard to sell because you wouldn't just be able to turn around right away and sell it. It would take time. Exactly. It's not as liquid because it does take,
1: you know, typically... 30 days, I think is the average, or um, maybe it was in Toronto at one point, maybe it's longer now or shorter now, but yeah, it's not like selling a stock or a bond where it's usually T plus two or three. Mm -hmm. So um, it is less liquid. It is something Mm -hmm. like you have to plan for uh, ultimately, like, are you going to sell your house? Um, You know, how are you going to get the wealth you've built up in your house out one day. And in fact, I think right now I'm noticing that a lot of baby boomers are taking advantage of this hot housing market and they are selling their big houses that, you know, maybe they're no longer using all of their house. Their kids have grown up and left and they are taking advantage of this hot of this, you know, market right now. And some are just going into rentals. So that's another stage of your life where you may decide, you know what, it makes more sense now to rent, mm-hmm. let someone else deal with the headaches of maintenance and all that stuff. And, you know, you can take the the money that you get from your house and as you say, invest it in something else that can continue to build wealth or that, or maybe you're going to live on it or what have you. But yeah, absolutely. Buying a house isn't the only, only way to do that. And I think we've just been, it was, you know, that thing, like the American dream, the Canadian dream of home, home
0: ownership. But I think we are starting to look at things differently now. Yes, definitely. COVID has uh, taken us all for a loop. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess one final comment, I know you talked a little bit about it in um, episode one, where we were discussing financial literacy for children. Um, But obviously, due to COVID, we've become a very cashless society. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any resources or apps that you recommend to track spending. I know you talked about um like our banks, we usually have like a I know with TDI I have a MySpend and those kinds of things. Um but mm-hmm. are there any apps, right. external apps that you could recommend or resources?
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned in episode 1, the fir- I I would suggest for most people the, the you know, first place, the easiest place to start is through your own mobile banking app because it's built right in there. Uh there's into your mobile banking, there's a tracking tool and a budgeting tool and all these other uh, things you can use, such as setting alerts and notifications to indicate, you know, to remind you that you've spent money. So, but, you know, the other app that started it all that I used to use way back before the banks had these built-in tools was um, Mint. So, Mint is is um, owned by Intuit, Intuit, okay. you know, which creates mm-hmm. TurboTax and Quick uh, QuickBooks and all that stuff. So this is their personal finance app and it's mint.intuit.com slash Canada. Make sure you, you know, you go to the Canadian site. So that app is really good. It's very robust. It has a lot more functionality and reporting and details and granularity than the banking apps and most of banking apps. I find they're a little more high level and mint lets you really get very detailed in terms of what you're tracking and, and how you're budgeting. Mm-hmm. You know, it also pulls data from all different sources, mint, like it will scrape. If you have bank, if you have accounts with different banks, for example, mint will pull them all in. Whereas you mentioned TD, my spend, that's only going to use your TD accounts. Yes. Right. So may not, depending on your situation, it may not give you the complete picture. Mm -hmm. But something like Mint will. So, you know, do your homework, look into it, see what appears to be the best fit for you. Um, You know, depends how you feel about, you know, like a third party app like Mint, kind of scraping those sources of information. If you want a really complete detailed picture, or if you're happy with just like kind of having a general idea, like I find the TD app that does a really good job of separating needs and wants. And it gives you a pretty good high level view of what you're spending in some major categories. It doesn't break them down into as much granular details I was used to seeing in Mint, but you can still get a very good feel for like, okay, what am I spending on groceries this month? What am I spending on education? Like, you know, there's a whole bunch of preset categories.
0: That's fantastic. So to our listeners, take a look at Mint, see if it works for you. Yeah. Right. And start with your bank too, because I feel like for a lot of people that might do the job. Awesome. So I guess if you could leave, you know, our listeners um, or even just to the non-budgeters with one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Don't be afraid to look at your budget. I think a lot of people have their head in the sand and they kind of don't want to know. And it's gotten to the point where they really don't know where their money's going. But if you, you got to know where you're starting from, if you want to be able to plan and set goals and, you know, have the things in life that you want to have and do the things in life that you want to do. So I would say just get started, Uh, you know, treat yourself to something great after you've done it. Like just set aside a little bit of time to start working on your budget and then reward yourself with, you know, something that you enjoy once you, you know, it's your little treat for having done it, but don't be afraid to look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm. And I think most people will feel a sense of relief once they've had a chance to, you know, look at the numbers and really understand where they stand. And, and if you do find that you can't balance your budget, that you can't figure out how to cut back, or there's lots of resources out there that can help you. There are, um, you know, money coaches, people that certify financial planners that will help you get your budget together. Uh, you know, it, if you are having issues with debt management, there's nonprofit credit counseling that you can seek out. Mm-hmm. So there's different different ways to, you know, just try and get started. And then once you do, if you find you need more help, there's definitely resources out there that can help you.
0: That's great. Um, so for our listeners, um, who, you know, want to learn more, who want to read your book, uh, where can they purchase the wisest investment? Right.
1: So thank you for that. Uh, If you go to my website, thewisestinvestment.com, you will see a link to purchase the book there. And it's available as a physical copy, as sorry, as a physical book, as well as an as an ebook through Amazon. And you know, we talked a bunch today, Nikkei, about values. And if you're interested in discovering what your values are, I have another website, which is robintobe.com. So Robin with an I, -I R-O-B-I-N-T-A-U-B.com. And there um, people can get an exercise that I created in the book called the Values Validator to help figure out what your top five values are, as we've discussed. and, And you can do that and and determine how those values can help guide and prioritize your financial decisions and help you set goals. And you can get your kid, your partner to do it and see, you know, where you overlap and get your kids to do it too. So that's on robintobe.com and um, there's also links on that website too, to purchase the book. So it's, it's uh, I hope, I hope uh, you'll visit the website and check out some of the resources I've got on there.
0: Absolutely. And I'll make sure that um, we include it in the show notes of the episode. Oh, thank you. That would be great. Well, thank you, Robin, so much for your time. We really appreciate you joining us for a very critical conversation. I enjoyed it too. And I hope uh, everyone's encouraged during
1: Financial Literacy Month to whether, you know, it's teaching their kids about money or whether it's getting their own financial house in order. I hope this uh, will help encourage you to do that. Thank
0: you so much, Robin. Thanks, Nikkei. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. This episode featured Robin Tobe, CPA, CA, professional speaker and author of The Wisest Investment, teaching your kids to be responsible, independent, and money smart for life. Don't forget to subscribe to the Straight from the CPA's Mouth mailing list for exclusive content. As always, if you like what you're hearing, have ideas for future episodes, or have any feedback you'd like to share, email us at knowledgecenter at cpaalberta.ca or leave us a comment on social media. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is produced by the CPA Education Foundation, the charitable arm of the CPA profession in Alberta. This podcast is made possible by Brian Heshey, FCPA, FCA. Thanks to Brian's generous donation, the Foundation created the Heshey CPA Knowledge Centre, a virtual hub of resources for all Albertans. Find out more about the Foundation and the Knowledge Centre at cpaalberta.ca slash foundation.